The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof, only to find out that your roof still leaks, well, it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber Roofs manufacture and apply the rubber paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and it definitely won't leak anymore. Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty and is the trusted name in roof waterproof. You can find out more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. It's just past 10 past 12 on this, the 23rd of January 2023. My name is Chad Thomas and welcome to Confidential Brief. Although it feels that it's been the longest month of the year, especially when it comes to the financial aspect, I think the year is beginning to gallop. We've got a a week left in this month and then we are full on into 2023. To help make a sense of what we can expect from a digital crime perspective, I'll be joined in a couple of moments by Clive Gungadu. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of Chai FM or myself. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. My guest today is Clive Gungadu. He's been on the show a few times before. So firstly, welcome back, Clive. And uh, he is our digital fraud trend specialist. And today's going to be taking us through a whole lot of those things. But before we get to that, how have you been? All good, Chad. Uh, the year started off busy as well. Lots of rollover work from last year. So really looking forward to an exciting year. Well, that's always good to hear. Before we delve into the digital fraud trends, take us through the current state of the digital economy and just explain to our listeners what we mean when we talk about the digital economy. Right, Chad, I, mean, I think it's good to begin with with the current reality. You know, we're living in an increasingly digital world. Uh, your mobile phone is representative of that. Uh, you've got advances in technology that's seamless. At your fingertips, it fits in your pocket and it's changing every day. Um, if you look at the Fort Industrial Revolution, it's really enabled businesses to catapult and taking their products and services online, you know, for greater market reach, but also greater revenue and also servicing customers 24 by 7. So this is digital transformation at its core, you know, what has created this digital economy. It's been driven by customer demand and also corresponding business models. For example, right, you've got an informal trader. They want to get their artwork or other products and services online uh, to reach customers abroad. All they need is a website. They integrate an e-commerce platform with uh, door-to-door shipping and logistics, and there you go. Right? It's not only good for the informal trader, but also good from greater export perspective and greater GDP at a national level. And this is pre-pandemic. Right? If you look at during the pandemic, uh, We've seen accelerated growth in online payments and e-commerce payments driven out of sheer necessities where even the novice users started using the e-commerce platforms, you know, to buy simple things like groceries and access to, to goods and services. And these same novice users, once they see a few successful transactions and they get comfortable with the digital interaction, they become digital users and they load their, their typical cards onto digital wallets like Apple Pay and Samsung Pay, which is becoming ubiquitous now to enable tech, uh, contactless transactions. So you don't have to physically touch the point of sale device from a pin pair perspective, you know, sanitization perspective, all of that is now digital. And this accelerated e-commerce into a multi-trillion dollar industry, and it's growing. 
Um, if you look at other service providers, you know, you've got banks on one end, you've got insurers, you've got retailers, you've got telcos. They are now offering all of their products and services online. They manage the entire customer lifecycle on web and, and mobile applications where, you know, customers can be remotely onboarded. Accounts can be originated without going into a physical brick and mortar branch or service centers. And this has changed the cost model altogether. It's become, you know, convenient to serve customers, but also low cost. So all of the spend is moved into the digital channels where customers can change their ATM card limits online, the internet banking limits. Uh, they could create beneficiaries. They can amend beneficiaries. They can make payments via electronic transfer in real time. And they can also instantly send money to peer-to-peer to to people via mobile number. And, you know, this is evolving. We're seeing the industry bringing more financial inclusion at play where you don't need a traditional bank account anymore. You can send money to a mobile number or to an email address, you know, uh, in in real time. We also see this launch of the digital marketplace and super apps. And if you look at a few examples, uh, NetBank has launched Evo, which is really digitized entire shopping malls like uh, Centen City giving non-NetBank customers access to this application and, and, and network of retailers. Uh, other examples would be other Tier 1 banks where they've increased their features on their web applications and mobile apps, introducing you know QR code payments, uh, alternate methods, um, and also real-time payments in that, you know, access to Forex investments and crypto services, and loyalty and rewards, you know, travel, uh, leisure, gaming, and the like. Uh, on the corporate side, we see Standard Bank uh, launched OneUp, which is really a digital marketplace for the corporate clients, being a network of consumers and producers together, access to trusted software as a service solutions and other value-added service providers. We see banks diversing into MNOs. MNOs are diversifying into financial services organization. And a typical example is Vod- Vodacom launched Vodapay. Again, you know, uh, digitizing card payments. Uh, uh, a network of retailers and also access to re, uh, loyalty and rewards with a gamification type mechanism like Discovery, Alt and Vitality, but, um, you know, on spend and usage. So this is the, really the digital economy where, you know, service providers aim to, you know, create that customer stickiness and who owns the customer experience on the customer in terms of revenue generation. For me, that was most probably one of the better explanations of the digital economy, something a lot of us take for granted. Something I don't quite understand, though, is we're seeing all these new delivery drivers, which I call kamikazes. We're seeing a move towards a digital economy, yet the pension funds continue building malls and strip malls, despite the fact more and more people are going online and more and more bank branches are even closing. But that was a very thorough explanation of the state of the digital economy. When we come back, we're going to move on to fraud. What happened in 2022? What we can look out for 2023? Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. We're chatting today to Clive Gangadu from Modata. He is a digital fraud specialist. And uh, before we went to break, he took us through the current state of the digital economy. What I want to know from you now is what were the biggest fraud trends and challenges that came out of 2022? So, Chair, with opportunities uh, comes risk, right? Uh, I think in uh, the cyberspace is the opportunity of remaining anonymous uh, and the rationale of getting away with instant monetization of fraud, you know, without hardly being being caught. 
But if you look at the top frauds, uh, card fraud has always been a challenge for major banks and merchants alike. Um, you know, we've seen payments being accepted now across multiple payment networks uh, interchangeably and across various digital banking uh, channels and rails. Um, and the e-commerce platforms we see, uh, you know, with that increased spend, we see congruence in increasing fraud levels, right? That's just the reality. Uh, chip and pin cards were introduced to mitigate the increasing counterfeit fraud at point of sale, the magnetic stripe at the back of the card, ATM skimming, and all of that fraud then migrated to the card not present or e-commerce channels, um, you know, such that the CMP fraud is predicted to be at $200 billion by 2025. You know, that is GDP of some first world nations um, and large economies. You know, most banks and some e-commerce merchants have adopted 3D Secure, you know, the Visa, MasterCard, OTP for risk-based authentication. Uh, but everyone is really, that has adopted the technology, hasn't got it right in terms of the, the right customer friction uh, on those channels, which then, you know, makes the merchant card back of wallet, which is a revenue decline. And some merchants are even willing to trade off the revenue with taking the liability on the fraud and even losing products and services. In some cases, some merchants could actually you know, result in a bust-out fraud in the acquiring banks. I had a loss, you know, what we've seen in 2020. You know, we then see fraudsters getting hands on the original shopping pin card, you know, to use that point of sale by having low-tech jamming devices at ATMs. They work in the network. They shoulder surf the pin. They've got the card and pin in hand before the customer reports the fraud to their bank. They cashed out either the same ATM or the ATM around the corner. And, you know, for uh, some banks, it's really impossible to detect with, you know, linear transaction-based detection um, and legacy capability because it's chip and pin being used. Um, we then see, uh, you know, fraudsters um, actually using violent means, you know, kidnapping and hijacking where they take the, the, the victim, use their, drain the ATM, uh, the card at an ATM, but also are familiar with the mobile channels. You know, they get the customer to sign on using biometrics uh, and all of their one-time pins. They they will not only drain the card balance, uh, they drain the overdraft balance. You know, any positive balance in a home loan account, any positive balance in a uh, uh, investment account. I mean, a, a young professional today has access to credit. And, you know, if you look at ticket items, it's north of a quarter million rand in one incident. In 10 minutes, it could be drained out. We also see, you know, uh, Internet banking channels becoming um, ubiquitous, you know, for, for paying bills, etc., Fraudsters are, are running account takeover scams, you know, by uh, manipulating unsuspecting consumers to hand over their OTP purporting to be from the bank. They're cold calling through voice scams to move their money into an account that's in control by fraudsters for safekeeping or to give them the OTP, which is like sort of the man in the middle attack, which you, you know, probably uh, in terms of some of the uh, the buzzwords. But we also see an account opening fraud uh, at scale, you know, by digital onboarding, like I mentioned, and remote account opening, uh, where they use synthetic IDs or fake identities to open these accounts at, at speed and scale. Uh, and when looked at a transactional by transactional level, it appears to not be normal, but in reality, they've only been set up to defraud the banks, right? Uh, other scams include uh, refund scams, which you see continuing. Uh, we see travel scams, PPE scams, romance scams, investment scams. You know, the more popular ones are crypto-related. And then we see mule accounts just being opened up. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, an account with an overdraft attached, but just an account to move money out 
and you know Mueller counts are in, at the intersection of fraud and money laundering, hand in glove. So fraud is the proceeds of crime, and then money laundering then launders and filters out, which actually funds the social ills, right? Which is human trafficking, drugs, uh, arms trading, um, and the like. And you know, with real-time payments fraud in 2022, we seen that's becoming a real challenge for banks. You know, they can't keep up with the the speed and scale to make their decisions um, in real time in sub-milliseconds. So what we've seen worldwide is a massive increase, um, partly brought upon by the pandemic, partly brought upon by the fact that people are moving more and more into this digital sphere. In fact, the the figures that have been bandied about for fraud in the last year was worldwide $3 trillion. Now, to give an example of why it's so high, um, if you look at the UK in terms of reported crimes in the last year, 40% of all reported crimes were fraud-related. Before we look at the biggest threats and challenges to look out for in 2023, just briefly dissect for us a more complex fraud case that you've come across and how these guys are engineering it to be able to pad their pockets, so to say. Uh, let me provide the audience with a, a global and a local lens. Uh, I mean, what we're seeing in the industry is more and more coordinated attacks. Um, you know, we've seen the launch of buy now, pay later, which is instance to credit. It's not traditional installment sales, but, you know, uh, smaller loan amounts. And, you know, that's easy targets for fraudsters to exploit. You know, they, they cash out through their criminal schemes. They use fake or synthetic identities. Synthetic identities, manufactured identity that's used real p- pieces of information with fake information so that the identity doesn't really exist. They use stolen credit cards or deposit accounts to then, you know, purchase high-value goods, which then is sold in the black market, only leaving the lenders and victims to foot the bill, right? We've seen um, sophisticated attack techniques like, you know, bots, which is just really automated scripts that runs um, for, you know, brute force attacks. And this is on the increase, especially with this chat GPT that's just been launched, the uh, AI. I mean, that's an interesting topic. I mean, chat GPT, you could just say, ask chat GPT to give me, uh, you know, phishing emails. It will increase the success rate of someone clicking on that, you know. And if you if you look at that, it will give you the precise steps to go have a coordinated attack with a higher likelihood of someone clicking on that. That's frightening. You know, uh, It'll go in and search and actually give you a recipe, you know, like baking a cake. You can then effectively have a fishing kit that is going to give you a high likelihood of return. So these coordinated attacks in using artificial intelligence, AI, machine learning for fraud. You know, so fraudsters are are investing in technology and they're also using AI to reverse engineer, you know, the detection mechanism by uh, by banks and other financial services organizations. So with that, they're having these large uh, device farms which are really creating emulators of devices that are trusted. So a device would have a fingerprint like you would have a thumbprint. The legacy technology can't detect that, you know, so they masquerade as a trusted user. They also use cloud technology to spin up virtual machines. They don't have to have a physical device that would tumble IP addresses. So, you know, and they also spoof geolocation. So they would look if they're sitting in Johannesburg, but they could be elsewhere in the world. And that's deceiving legacy systems. And they get quickly through the gates uh, with the, this advances in technology. And also, if you look at this transaction in isolation, you know, the device, the IP, the location, it doesn't look suspicious. It looks perfectly normal, the transaction goes through. But if you look at it in context with other transactions, and this is where you use AI to take the fight back to the fraudsters, you actually can find patterns. And these are actually syndicated and coordinated attacks amongst these these fraudsters. I mean, some examples would be, uh, you know, where I talk about the buy now, pay later. I mean, it could be simply getting loans to banks uh, at speed and scale. Uh, telcos to get access to smartphones, 
uh, insurers to ghost underwrite policies. People don't exist. They resell this or subsequently uh, defraud these, these insurers in stage accidents, in stage claims. We see online betting sites now becoming on the increase uh, in COVID. And, you know, they get access to promotions and bonus rewards, the same with travel sites. So, you know, it, it really doesn't stop there. And it's hurting the businesses because it doesn't reach the intended audience. Uh, and it's a revenue leakage for the for for these organizations. So there was a, a a WhatsApp during the rounds where people would wonder how they knew to contact them, and what it was is just spamming as many numbers as possible and hoping to find somebody who was a parent of a child. And the scam artist on the other side of the WhatsApp would say, "Hi, mom, damaged my phone using my friend's phone. Please, can you do a, a, a e-wallet for X amount of money?" It was a case of spamming thousands of people and maybe having three or four hits. But it, of course, it was a fraud. It's become quite a challenging fraud in the U.S. and in Europe. I'm thinking now with deep fakes. With our images out there on social media, our voices being available, we're going to see an increase in AI being used where you may even get a voice message you think is from a loved one. Um, or you may actually see an image of that loved one mouthing those words, but in actual fact, it's a deep fake. But let's look at the more challenging threats and biggest threats that you foresee this coming year. Right. I mean, I see card fraud still on the rise, uh, especially with the growth in e-commerce and digital rails and, you know, the interchangeable networks. Uh, that's definitely going to continue. Um, we're going to see an increase in mule accounts because it's the way to cash out in you know, control gaps on digital onboarding from, a, uh, you know, in the ongoing monitoring of that customer and due diligence, not just at the customer level, but also at the transactional level. We're going to see an increase in first party fraud, you know, collusion and coercion with the fraudsters. Uh, on the digital platforms, and I talked about the anonymity in cyberspace. Buy now, pay later is becoming popular amongst the Gen Z instant access. It's easy, it's affordable, it's software, it's soft fraud, but it's going to be, you know, uh, maximized at scale. Real-time payments. Organizations are grappling to bring these, you know, real meaningful data points across different systems uh, to have holistic customer transaction risk assessment in sub-milliseconds. That's going to open up the floodgates. Uh, whilst it's good from a financial inclusion perspective, you know, and the fraud may just be a few basis points uh, of of the sales value, it's going to open up the gates for both fraud and money laundering. Uh, we're going to see money businesses, um, you know, being defrauded from fraud and money laundering. There's going to be greater risks. Fiat to crypto is going to increase, and in business email compromises and social engineering is not going away. So fraudsters have caught on that the customer is the weakest link uh, to get access to all of the controls the bank put in place, and they're using sophisticated methods. Um, you know, in a digital world, behavior tells all. So uh, organizations need to make the right decisions on deploying the right technologies uh, in place to overcome some of these deep fake threats and some of the, uh, this, how fraudsters are circumventing customers themselves by knowing if the customer's on the channel, for sure, through behavior, um, if they're under duress to take proactive measures, you know, uh, and that's you know where we see that in digital world continuing to rise, and it's not just in South Africa; it's a global phenomenon. Jed. It's frightening. Um, we've we've listened to the threats, we've understood what's happened in 2022, and and what we can look out for 2023. When we come back from break, I want to chat more about how digital financial services can mitigate these different risks that are taking place. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. We're in conversation with Clive Gangadu. We're talking about digital threats in 2023. It's a fascinating topic. 
it's a topic that we all need to take cognizance on as we move towards a bigger digital economy. And uh, we're hoping to take away a little bit more knowledge today. We've chatted about the threats in 2022. We've chatted about the trends that have taken place. And we've also spoken more about some of the more complex cases. Clive, take us through a little bit more of the complex cases. And then toward the end, let's just chat more about how we can mitigate these fraud, the, the fraud risk. Um, because we can see for, for sure fraudsters right now are out there to try part anybody they possibly can from their money. Yeah, Chad. Uh, I mean, if you look at, you know, account opening fraud, it's, it's so easily available, right, to the man in the street, but also to fraudsters. So you see application fraud, uh, for simple, like I said, buy now, pay later loans, but just, you know, any other small micro loans or installment sales or, you know, unsecured lending and even in some cases secured lending where these fake, fake identities or synthetic identities are then, you know, funded by these fraud syndicates and there's round tipping to create these fictitious credit scores and they build up credit profiles over time, you know, 18 to 24 months until the large bust out, which then leaves the bank's collection efforts futile because the person doesn't really exist, you know, so the bank's out of pocket. Uh, we also see fake accounts being set up on these cryptocurrency platforms for the sake of siphoning, siphoning money out or, you know, to different locations across multiple blockchain networks and they mix these transactions up. So they try and create a, a massive distance between the origination of funds and the destination and cash out of these funds. We also see this in gaming platforms for rewards and promotion abuse, uh, travel sites. I mean, a typical example is... Travel sites launch a promotion. They've got rentals up for go. We get fraudsters creating syndicates. They purchase this a promotion, you know, prime areas in Europe during summer vacation. And then when it's time to sell, they mark it up and they sell this at premium price. And the travel sites lose out because it doesn't reach the intended audience. The same with the online betting stores, right, uh, or gaming companies. Cause, and then you also have a false sense of comfort because it's not real customers that exist on book. You know, it's all just fake accounts that are sitting there dormant waiting for the opportunity to cash out. We also see the large-scale lending, like I mentioned. But it's an interesting exercise. We worked with a few clients which uses, you know, bot-based card stacking. You know, it's, again, using all methods but using automation technology. So once you get access or the frauds get access to a new bin that's been released, so bin is a bank identification number, the first six digits on a, on a card number. They see a compromise account range, which is the digits from the 7 to the, the last 16, and they use automated technology to use various permutations to guess the account number, CVV, and expiry date. Uh, what they do is they even go to the extent of setting up a fake merchant. They beat the onboarding gates. They set up a fake a POS or e-commerce merchant, which they could also use, by the way, for money laundering. So they test these permutations until they get low-value transactions, until they get a successful hit. And once they get a successful hit, they would then cash out at an international retailer, high-value goods, which is then resold in the in the black market. But not only that. They run the merchant bust out, which the acquiring bank is in a loss because the merchant gets settled against these, 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 these cards that were randomly tested and successful and even stolen cards. Cause I mean, they would have access to the application process to apply as Chad Thomas to get access to a large credit limit. You get access to the chip and pin card and the cash out at this fake retailer or they use it to reto- to launder. So we've seen both the issue and acquiring banks taking a loss here and it's become an ecosystem. You know, uh, that's the fraud economy, as we call it, using technology to their advantage. Um, so that's quite interesting, Chad. But what I need to, and I do apologize for interrupting, the, are the banks are keeping abreast of these changes in the MO of these fraudsters? Because what you're describing to us with the amount of AI out there, 
is that fraudsters have, because they organize crime syndicates, they have the time and effort to invest in it. Are the banks doing likewise? Are the interests of the customers being protected? I think definitely the banks are making inroads, but, you know, the reality is always cat and mouse, you know. Uh, the fraud economy is a business. They're investing heavily. Uh, they are leveling up, you know. They're collaborating. That's the reality. And I believe banks should be collaborating as well, you know, monitoring transactions with that originate or, uh, are, uh, you know, sent by a single bank is good, but it provides limited information. When you start pulling this information together in, you know, confidential environment, then banks would have rich information to see money movements between these mule accounts, and it will be mutual benefit to the banks to start sharing this information and collaborating more like fraudsters do in the dark market. Uh, but it's also that inertia to modernize technology. You know, banks shouldn't see this as grudge investments to, you know, back office operations. The reality, you know, modernizing your fraud, cyber, and compliance systems are at the heart of customer experience now and revenue generation. So business leaders and, and risk leaders need to have a conversation on why this incident matters to the organization and just talk not just talk about the news at, at board meetings, but really how they're going to modernize their capability. I mean, if they don't, and you're building digital capability on top of, you know, legacy capability, you're going to have inherent cyber risks. Uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of these blockchain and, and crypto uh, hacks, which were not the blockchain network that was vulnerable, but the switches or the bridges in the network that, you know, you have interoperability between multiple blockchains. So fraudsters are on the eye for vulnerabilities within these technology sets. Is it more profitable, do you think, for somebody that has the skill and acumen in the IT world to become a part of a syndicate? Um, or is there a converse to this? Is there organizations that have been set up to fight and to, to develop products for the banks so that they can take these people with the necessary skills that don't just get used for bad. Because as somebody who investigates old-style fraud and looks for the elements of fraud, it's sometimes very difficult to, to understand this difference between what they call the white hatters and the black hatters. And we know for a fact that there's a lot of skill involved in these frauds that are taking place, especially in the digital sphere. Is there an incentive for organizations to make this difference? And are the banks able to spread this amongst one another? Like you said just now, the pooling of information is critical. Are we seeing this happening? Well, there's conversations on the go, Chad. Uh, again, you know, there's always been the blockers or inertia around data privacy, uh, you know, mandates and where does it get changed? But I think that that you know, mindset is shifting now. You know, the fact that South Africa is on the grey listing, you know, the FATF wants us to do more. We're only meeting 20 of the 40 recommendations. Public-private partnerships are becoming more and more important. You know, we've had a number of industry engagements uh, over recent years, and we're seeing participative involvement by captains of industry. There's no doubt that the banks have the IP and skills. It's about, you know, getting to the next level of execution. It's not just about, you know, what technologies are out there in the market, but knowing the right tool sets. I mean, we're getting engagements with banks. Some banks are calling us up, not just banks, retailers, insurers, and other financial services organizations. They realize that, you know, traditional technology, looking at things in isolation doesn't make sense, but they need to modernize their technology. They need to know for sure in cyberspace, is this their customer without a doubt? Because they need to make in sub-milliseconds a decision on whether to allow their transaction or block their transaction, allow that application or block that application. 
Now, if you get this wrong and you block a legitimate transaction, you're going to have bad customer experience and the card may or the bank may become back, back of wallet or the merchant. Conversely, if you allow the transaction and it's fraudulent, you're going to have loss. Either way, it is revenue leakage. So you can't gamble on this. You need to get it right. And it's bringing this disparate data sources and data points into one platform to have a holistic insight of the customer and the transaction, you know, for, for informed risk decisioning. And, and having, you know, cloud technology and AI machine learning to do this for you at speed and scale. Because to do this, you know, at a line item level, transaction by transaction is just not going to work. So, you know, in some cases, it takes a bold move to almost start on a clean slate on sunsetting the legacy, you know, but building out responsible capability in parallel. Um, and then, you know, stopping this at the bank level, educating customers, you know, and our, we'll, we can end off with some tips on, for example, business email compromise. So let's do that. Let's look at how we can mitigate it. Not looking at how we expect the bank to. What are the simple processes that consumers can put in place to protect themselves from this increase in digital fraud? I mean, so it's, it's from a consumer angle, you know, just the awareness of malicious software. You know, there's good software, uh, but it's also bad software. There's rogue apps on the App Store and the Play Store. Don't, you know, just download everything and plug it into your mobile device or, you know, and, and get going. You know, question this, do your background research, because it could just be spyware or malware to get to defraud you, uh, you know, uh, or just lock your phone, you know, for ransomware and ex there's extortion. Don't reuse passwords, you know, across multiple online sites. I mean, every there's an app for everything. There's a username and password for everything. Um you know, use second-factor authentication. Uh, the same with email policies and securities as opposed to just using username and password to get access to an email account, which is where fraudsters get access to for business email compromises. Use multi-factor authentication. Uh, you know, there's Google Authenticator, there's Microsoft Authenticator that creates a random password that's good. You know, look for rules that are forwarding emails for filters. Uh, look, you know, flag external emails uh, and create logs so you can investigate that. But education is key. You know, whether you're onboarding an individual customer or business customer, during the onboarding process, you need to bake in fraud awareness and education, but also ongoing webinars and training sessions with your corporate clients, your SMEs from a financial inclusion perspective, and even just the layman, you know, like the ATM fraud that I just mentioned earlier on. So if I can make a point, as convenient as this is, we can't put our guard down, especially in South Africa, because I think South Africans are very attuned to violent contact crimes, but we're seeing more and more crime moving online. So it's convenient, but you cannot put your guard down. Absolutely. You know, just, you know, have the, you know, the, the etiquette and the mindset of constantly updating passwords, making sure you've got your, your, your home computer protected from, you know, antivirus, uh, having right antivirus and anti-malware. Don't be trusting. People will call you purporting to be from a trusted organization. South Africans are very trusting. When you hear it's from a, you know, authority like a bank, you're willing to give the OTP for safekeeping, you know, but you're duped. Uh, social engineering scams are on the, on the rise. Uh, it, it is increasing. Customers are footing the bill, by the way. You know, they, they take the losses, you know, in terms of fine T's and C's. Uh, organizations and, and service providers are asked to do more now to protect their customers. Um, and in fact, there's laws in the UK, in the UK, in the US, it's been passed into bill that, you know, banks will be taking these losses in the digital space because they're creating these channels uh, for money movements. And, you know, they're obligated to protect the end customer. Clive, um, some time back, uh, I attended a seminar with you and one of your Australian partners actually had adverts that they'd made 
for the Australian consumer to warn them. And it showed who some of the targets were, especially those that were lonely. Lonely people were being targeted. Elderly people were being targeted. Retirees were being targeted. If people wanted to see or find out more about this, where would they go um, to, to encapsulate what we've discussed today? I mean, we've got some succinct uh, videos, you know, less than two minutes on our MoData website. Just go to www.modata.com. Uh, we've got a number of solution bouquets there. If you go to financial crime and risk management, behavioral biometrics is one example. You could see some videos on how the forces actually perpetrate this fraud, which is really eye-opening because you're seeing the fraud, you know, in flight. Uh, as the customer is being cold called, as uh, a fraudster gets remote access to an elderly uh, a consumer's laptop to, you know, siphon out the entire pension fund, and how vulnerable these customers are, and how trusting these customers are, and how, you know, expert the social engineering is out by these fraudsters. I mean, they really, really dupe these these customers, and money is gone in 30 seconds flat, and chances of recovery really is, is not, you know, especially with instant movement, movement of money, the repatriation is irrecoverable. If there's anything I've learned they will target anybody. It's not just the elderly, the vulnerable, the lonely. Anybody's a target, and everybody needs to take cognizance of this. Clive Gangadu from Modata, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chad, for having me. Always great to be on your show, and always and it's a passion to educate and inform our consumers and organizations, and uh, hope to see more collaboration in the near future. We'll be having Clive back on air in a couple of months' time when we see what new trends have materialized. We know for a fact that they they may not be one complete step ahead of us, but the forces are always thinking of new and innovative ways. I always say they're exceptionally adept. If you think that this uh, today's uh, broadcast could be of benefit to anybody that may be targeted or may have been targeted, please... Um, Invite them to, to, to listen to the conversation. It will be uploaded to chaifm.com under podcasts on Confidential Brief, and I'll provide a link to that on our social media on Confidential Brief Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining us today, and a big thank you to our sponsor, uh, Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. So if you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof only to find out that your roof still leaks, it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber roofs manufacture and apply the rubber roof to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber roofs offer a 10-year warranty on their paint. Rubber roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You can find them more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. Thank you so much for spending your time with me this afternoon. I'll be back same time, same place next week. And remember, just be aware.